Uh, g'day one, g'day one, g'day all. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Strange Days of Broadcast. SDBC. There is no doubt about it. Enjoy. Everything's okay, man. I need for you to relax. There's no, hey, listen, don't get hyped up. Calm down. Calm down. Relax. 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 There you go. Just relax, man. Just relax. We're going to get this worked out. Everything's going to be just fine. Just relax. Okay, let her go. Just, 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 just relax. Oh, let her go. Hey, let, uh, Edward, hey, let her go. Hey, let her go. Want her to pull her back, man. Right? Okay. Calm down. Let her go. No, no. Calm down. Hey, Edward, stop. There once was a ship that put to sea. The name of the ship was a bully of tea. The winds blew up her bird up down below my bully boys blow. <gasps> Soon may the willowman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore when down on her a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take the whale in tow. <gasps> Soon may the willowman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Da 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 Edward, no, Edward, 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 Come plant with you with me, baby. 
Uncle Adolf, back from the grave, there's no doubt about him. The 1488er, no doubt about it. There's no doubt about that. There is no doubt about that. was a ship that put to sea the name of the ship was a bully of tea the winds blew up her bowed up down oh, below my bully boys blow <gasps> soon may the man come to bring us sugar and tea and rum one day when the tonguing is done we'll take our leave and go She'd not been two weeks from shore when down on her a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take the whale in tow. <laughs> Soon may the whaleman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. 
Shenanigans. Let's get into this broadcast. <coughs> Had Moana from one of our illegal grows sent off to a lab, and there was 11 samples, and 10 of them failed the analysis. The numbers were too high on certain pesticides. That's alarming to me. Some people might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's going to a licensed facility that's selling marijuana. So what happened to the safe marijuana that we were all promised? There's a good chance that marijuana in a dispensary is contaminated. We have so much marijuana around the Siskiyou County, and that's just our county. But we know it's going to dispensaries, and we know it's dirty now. People are smoking it. We don't know the long-term effects of smoking cannabis with these pesticides on them. Can you imagine like a 70-year-old cancer patient that's going and buying marijuana from a reputable place and finding out that it's contaminated with pesticides? This is a public health issue, potentially a public health crisis. Potentially a public health crisis. There's no doubt about it. You know, with all this talk of tunnels and underground bunkers being built, and all the stuff going on with Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs. I figured it was time I connect those two dots for you. For entertainment value, of course, because I know nothing and I'm just making this stuff up. All right, now how many people have seen a video like this on their FYP? I told you that that tunnel system has everything to do with the Kansas City Chiefs as well as a whole lot of other things all right well this starts with this guy right here Lamar Hunt who used to be the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs and his family still owns them to this day oh a fun fact he's also the guy that came up with the term Super Bowl well what most people don't know is Lamar Hunt also had Another project, and that's known as Subtropolis. It's something out of a Jules Verne science fiction novel, a large working city operating deep underground as we go about our lives on the surface above. It's real, and it's right here in the United States. Harry Smith takes us to Subtropolis. Inside a hill in Kansas City is a place you kind of have to see to believe. It's called Subtropolis. Decades ago, limestone was mined here for concrete and asphalt. What's left is space. A lot of space. How much space is there? Okay, so what's down here right now, we have 6 million square feet of buildings leased to 55 companies. There's 1,700 employees that run around here and, and go to work every day. It's a massive industrial park, all underground. I mean, this is almost like a little bit like a science fiction sort of thing. Yeah. But you're down here. Do you ever worry, like the world could go come to an end upstairs, and you guys would just be down here toiling away, right? Now, Sotropolis is home to some pretty big entities, like the National Archives, as well as the EPA. And it's also the storage facility for some of the biggest buildings in Hollywood. Let's start 
We control temperature and humidity. Thousands of film canisters holding some of the most beloved movies. They're here at the underground vaults and storage. It's hard to believe. It's, it's mind-blowing the scale that we have here. A short drive away and you'll find not one, but two big businesses that save thousands of dollars on overhead because of the climate down. All right, Subtropolis is a rabbit hole all on its own. We can go down later if you want to. But what we're going to focus on right now is Lamar and his family history. Now, in his rise to wealth, Lamar was a partner in crime with his dad. This guy right here, Harrelson L. Hunt. All right, now, Harold was not only a one-time a plantation owner, but he got his wealth from the oil fields in Texas, which at one point made him the richest man in America. In Dallas, Texas, where millionaires are not at all unusual, this man carrying part of his lunch to work in a paper bag is something special. For among those who have amassed great wealth from petroleum, he has amassed by far the most. More than the Murchisons, more than the Cullens, more than the Richardsons, even more than the Gettys. He has no chauffeur, he has no private airplanes, he takes no vacations on the Riviera, he makes no significant grants to charity. But Haroldson Lafayette Hunt is the biggest of them all, the richest man in America, the richest and one of the most controversial. Well, Haroldson not only did oil, but he was a big player. McCarthy start his presidential campaign. Here's where it gets interesting. Not only did he fund the McCarthy campaign, but he also funded the Cuban Revolution Council, which worked with the mafia and the CIA to take down Fidel Castro. And because of that connection right there is why a lot of people think he helped in the assassination of JFK. But of course, that whole situation worked itself out. And another motive that a lot of people don't know about for him being involved in JFK is because of his best friend, this guy right here, Edwin Walker. Now, Walker was an open white supremacist, and he was also in charge of the Arkansas Military District during a horrible time in our history called the Little Rock Nine. That's when the desegregation of high schools was happening in Arkansas. It's where nine students tried to attend school and met with all this. And it got so bad that where Eisenhower made Walker send the National Guard there. Now, Walker ended up being a commander in the infantry division in Germany. And when he was caught teaching his supremacy ways, JFK stripped him of his military status. So not only was there all of that, but a whistleblower also came out and said that she was at a party where Haroldson Hunt and Richard Nixon were talking about what was going to happen to JFK the next day. So all the way from the Kansas City Chiefs to the underground bunkers to the desegregation of schools and JFK, sure is a lot of dots. Now stay safe. Guardian Angel. Many people believe that there might be guardian angels looking over us, saving us from unseen danger. I didn't have much faith in it until I came across this clip. 
This footage was taken on a CCTV camera back in 2019. It shows a shop manager in Turkey standing by the road in front of his store. Out of nowhere, a stranger appears to walk past him, tapping him on the shoulder. He looked behind him, and the tap on his shoulder grabbed his attention. But, instead of a person, he notices a big white lorry heading speeding near him. As he gets out of the road, out of nowhere, a huge metal gate swings straight in front of him, almost hitting him. The shopkeeper is visibly shocked at the near miss. He looked around, presumably looking for the mystery-blurred face man to thank him, but that had vanished into thin air. Well, as far as an explanation goes, there doesn't seem to be one so far, other than this man might just be his guardian angel. Oh, this fella. You ever just meet somebody that should have been a blowjob? <laughs> you have now. Van lift. Now, have a look at these two vans rolling up to the signal at this intersection in China. Out of the blue, both vans get lifted like they're weightless and then shoved back in the street, almost like a crazy strong wind just played with them. Even that car on the right gets a taste of it. I'm scratching my head trying to figure this out. Let's rewind and take another look. What in the world could mess with vehicles like that? I can't think of any force that can casually hoist up heavy vans like they're toys to find gravity. If it was some kind of a natural disaster, why aren't the other cars around here feeling the drama? Something just doesn't add up. Boom! There you go, you dumb idiots with horrible musical taste. There's your Taylor Swift, and uh, she had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction, and she's wearing a diaper. That's weird. Usually she's dressed like a whore in real uh, tight clothed clothing. And uh, now she's not. She's wearing a, a big dress over here. And something happened, and you got a little bit of Marilyn Monroe and her John's there. And uh, your diaper's sticking out, weirdo. Your diaper's sticking out. So there you go, you dumb lefties, uh, as this dumb dipshit is going to be at the Super Bowl. And utilized as a psychological operation. Who are you guys? Are you fucking maggots are afraid of uh, Taylor Swift? I don't give a shit about Taylor Swift. Nobody's afraid of. You think anybody from our side is afraid of Taylor? Have you met my side? My side stood up to trillions of dollars worth of propaganda. All right, your your side took experimental injections for a fucking donut because you were afraid of sniffles. Go fuck yourself. Ain't nobody afraid of this dipshit over here. We're just pointing out that she's a goofball. She is a manufactured concoction of the illegitimate regime and the industrial media complex behind them utilized to gaslight a bunch of dumb fuckers with, again, atrocious musical taste. And it's fitting that she's wearing a diaper considering you dumb fuckers wear diapers. I mean, holy balls, I ain't speaking, I'm not even talking about Joe Biden shitting himself. I mean, here you go. Some Taylor Swift fans are apparently wearing diapers to the Eras tour to make sure they don't miss anything, you filthy whores. You ugly, disgusting, filthy horse. Pissing yourself. Pissing yourself and shitting yourself. Being told to vote for a dude who shits himself. <laughs> you, you, utilizing Taylor Swift as a mouthpiece for that fucking propaganda. There you go, you dumb idiots. You disgusting idiots.
So that's what's happening. And so here you've got uh, a bunch of people saying, well, you know, let's blur it out. <laughs> Everybody's afraid of Taylor Swift. And they're like, well, we better blur it, blur it out. She's at a concert in front of tens of thousands of people. So there, there is no expectation of privacy. I mean, you you had a wardrobe malfunction. This is being recorded. I mean, this is fucking insane. This is drama lord. Taylor Swift caught wearing a diaper? We specifically blurred the footage out out of respect for Taylor Swift's privacy. What privacy? What privacy? She's out in public. She's She's doing a tour. She charged all those people to be there. Yeah, no, she should be upset at whoever set off the air cannon while she was standing over it. Or, I don't know, explain everybody why you're wearing a fucking diaper. People, in the comment section, there's a bunch of these uh, Taylor Swift nut jobs going, hey, everybody wears a diaper. Every performer wears a diaper. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Whoa. Who's wearing a diaper? Dave Mustaine was wearing a diaper when I was watching him at Metal Palooza. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Metallica before they turned into a bunch of fucking pussies, they were they were wearing diapers. No, no, no. Slipknot. No, nobody was wearing diapers except for you. You filthy idiots. They're at a concert over here. Like, like this idiot's wearing a diaper. All the fucking weirdos in the audience are wearing diapers. It's like, oh, I don't want to miss anything, man. Concert's like two hours long. Two hours long. Go to the bathroom, weirdo. This is you guys are degenerate. <laughs> Again, why am I not surprised that a bunch of fucking weirdos that stick their genitals in blenders? They're they're injecting themselves with black tar heroin and experimental concoctions, and they're fucking alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't be shocked that you're wearing diapers, and the fucking person that you're there to see is also wearing a diaper. But there you go. Make fun, ridicule, and mock this dumb asshole. She's being used by an illegitimate regime. You know, so uh, go out there with a good amount of mockery, make fun of her, and uh, help uh, water down some of this left wing propaganda utilized to put this fucking atrocious goofball in her horrible, shitty fucking music. Utilizing all of this for voter registration turnout. We need to start getting voter registration turnouts at church. Gunch. This clip is said to be a giant. This was filmed somewhere in the Middle East. And if you take a good look, this giant was standing next to a tank. It's now like it's disappearing into the ground. We're going to play it again. Tell me what you think. Compare the size of the giant to the tank. In April 2007, videos began appearing on YouTube under the username RetiredApp telling the extraordinary story of Apollo 20, a secret lunar mission that definitively proved the existence of intelligent, alien life on the moon. Then, on May 23, 2007, Italian ufologist Luca Scantonberlo interviewed a man who identified himself as William Rutledge, a retired American astronaut living in Rwanda. Rutledge claimed to be the commander of the Apollo 20 crew and to be the owner of the retired app account. Rutledge claims to have worked on at least two missions to the moon, including the failed Apollo 19 and the Apollo 20 which he says was launched in August of 1976 from Vandenberg Air Force Base. Both of these missions, according to Rutledge, were 
classified joint space missions resulting from collaborations between U.S. and Soviet governments. They do not appear on any roster of NASA missions and, if this is true for good reasons, the purpose of these missions was to investigate a large object on the far side of the moon in the Del Portisic region, allegedly discovered and photographed during the Apollo 15 mission. The object, which vaguely resembled an X-wing fighter as seen in the Star Wars films, was supposed to have been a very large alien spacecraft which had crashed or was otherwise abandoned on the moon in ancient times. Rutledge claims that they with Soviet cosmonaut, Alexei Leonov, landed a lunar module Russian made near the alien ship and actually entered it. Certain atrofacts were discovered and recovered, including two bodies alleged to be the pilots one was in excellent condition and appeared to be female. A second body was too deteriorated to recover and just the head was retrieved. The female has been duped, Mona Lisa. William Rutledge interview, we went inside the big spaceship, also into a triangular one. The major parts of the exploration was, it was a mother ship, very old, who crossed the universe at least milliard of years ago, 1.5 estimated. There were many signs of biology inside, old remains of a vegetation in a motor section, special triangular rocks who emitted tears of a yellow liquid which has some special medical properties, and of course signs of extrasolar creatures. We found remains of little bodies, 10 centimeters, living in a network of glass tubes all along the ship, but the major discovery was two bodies, one intact. The city was named on Earth and scheduled as Station 1, but it appeared to be a real space garbage, full of scrap, gold parts, only one construction seemed intact, we named it the Cathedral. We made shots of pieces of metal, of every part wearing calligraphy, exposed to the sun. The city seemed to be as old as the ship, but it is a very tiny part. On the rover video, the telephoto lens make the artifacts greater. I don't remember who named the girl, Leonov, or me was the intact Eve. Humanoid, female, 1.65 meter. Genitalized, haired, six fingers, we guess that mathematics are based on a dozen. Function, pilot, piloting device fixed to fingers and eyes, no clothes, we had to cut two cables connected to the nose. No nostril. Leonov unfixed the eyes device. Concretions of blood or bioliquid erupted and froze from the mouth, nose, eyes, and some parts of the body. Some parts of the body were in unusual good condition, hair, and the skin was protected by a thin transparent protection layer. As we told to mission control, condition seemed not dead not alive. We had no medical background or experience, but Leonov and I used a test, we fixed our bioequipment on the EEP, and telemetry received by surgeon, mission control meds, was positive. That's another story. Some parts could be unbelievable now, I prefer tell the whole story when other videos will be online. This experience has been filmed in the LM. We found a second body, destroyed, we brought the head on board. 
Color of the skin was blue-gray, a pastel blue. Skin had some strange details above the eyes and the front, a strap around the head, wearing no inscription. The cockpit was full of calligraphy and formed of long semi-hexagonal tubes. She is on Earth and she is not dead, but I prefer to post other videos before telling what happened after. At the warhead. So this thing fires a beam of light at the warhead, hits it, fires another beam of light, and then flies out the way it came in. And the warhead hey, tumbles welcome. out of the out of space. <clears throat> welcome to the broadcast, there's no doubt about it. What about China's new wave of terror? <clears throat> They've got a microwave cannon powered by four uh what they call it, um, Sterling engines. The weapon emits waves to disrupt the satellite's electrical systems. Sounds a little bit like electrical and magnetic warfare, if you know what I mean. Importance of Admiral Byrd leading Operation High Jump was noted by American scientist Dr. R. W. Bernard, who in his 1964 book titled The Hollow Earth, The Greatest Geographical Discovery in History, credited Byrd with discovering both the North and South Pole openings to the inner reaches of our planet and in his dedication stated, To the future explorers of the new world that exists beyond North and South Poles in the hollow interior of the Earth, who will repeat Admiral Byrd's historic flight for 1,700 miles beyond the North Pole and that of his expedition for 2,300 miles beyond the South Pole. Yeah, it's been some time. It's been some time. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Maybe I should play you a song. Yeah, maybe I should play you a song. <laughs> this is by Uncle H. song we got shits and giggles we had our shits and giggles there's no doubt about that all right the monkey has left anyways don't worry about that for too much longer
entering. You want some figures? Okay, latest water test. Tested the rain. 13,100 micrograms per liter of aluminum in the rain in 2013. Normally, it should be zero. So 13,100 is pretty damn much, folks. It used to be zero. Then it was 100s in the 2000s. And then in, uh, since 2010, it's into the 1,000s and the latest 13,100. In the snow on Mount Shasta, pristine Mount Shasta, 61,000 feet. No, excuse me. 8,000 foot level, 61,000 micrograms per liter. Four times the amount that is found in the soil up there. Where in the hell is this stuff coming from if it's not coming from the soil? You know, these tests are international in scope. We're seeing this all over the world, guys. Okay, pH of acid soils is 20 times more alkaline. The aluminum in the soil has doubled in the last 10 years. Aluminum blocks essential nutrients. I am unable in my garden to restore normal pH, and that's because nanoparticles are now in the circulatory systems of both plants and humans. So welcome, fellow guinea pigs. Uh, the collapse and decrease of agriculture is something I worry about even more than the previous info about autism and Alzheimer's. Hmm. It's a bit of a worry. That's what we'll be sure. Neanderthals and Homo sapiens remained separate long enough to evolve such distinct skull shapes, pelvises, and ear bones. They can be regarded as different species, interbreeding or not. He wrote in an article for the Natural History Museum in London. Well, at the moment, I'm certainly looking again at the whole question of a recent African origin for modern humans because. Um, that's been the leading idea of the last 20 years, that we had a recent African origin, that we came out of Africa and we replaced all these other humans uh, that were outside of Africa. And we're having to reevaluate that now. I'm sorry, I don't think I quite heard that right. Could you please come again? We're having to come and look at out of Africa again, and also even look at the species concepts we've got. Since genomes have started to become sequenced and compared, we now know that different species with different numbers of chromosomes do in fact interbreed and can produce viable offspring. We're having to reevaluate the out of Africa theory. We're going to have to reevaluate our species concepts because, um, on one view of thinking, species are self contained units, they don't interbreed with other species. Um, and for me, the whole idea of Neanderthals as a different species is really a recognition of their separate evolutionary history. The fact that we can show that they evolved through time in a particular direction, distinct from modern humans, um, and they separated maybe 400,000 years ago from our lineage. So they're in that position of being either a part of Homo sapiens, but a very different part to anyone alive today, or as I prefer to argue, they're a separate species, a separate evolutionary history. Neanderthals are genetically distinct from modern humans but are more closely related to us than chimpanzees are, for example. The first modern human specimen discovered was called Cro-Magnon, so I use that term generically. Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon overlapped and interbred about 50,000 years ago, but never in Sub-Saharan Africa. As a result, 
Everyone today whose ancestors lived outside of Sub-Saharan Africa at the time has inherited a small but significant amount of Neanderthal DNA, which makes up about 2% of their genomes. Sub-Saharan Africans inherited a much larger amount of archaic DNA from an entirely different species, but I will discuss that later. Which brings us to another distinct hominin discovery called the Denisovans. And these strange people called the Denisovans. Now we only know about them because of DNA work that's gone on in this site of Denisova in Siberia. So this is a cave that's been known for a long time. There were some very fragmentary human fossils from there, um, a finger bone, a couple of teeth, a foot bone. And these, each of them has yielded significant DNA. And the surprise was that that DNA was um, distinct. It wasn't clearly Neanderthal, it wasn't clearly modern human, it was something different. So uh, Svante Parbo and his colleagues dubbed these people the Denisovans. And so we've got this site in Siberia with Denisovans. And now we know not only Denisovans are there, but the foot bone from the site um, has been analysed and has Neanderthal DNA in it. So this site was probably occupied in quite a short period of time um, by the Denisovans, by Neanderthals coming up from further south, we assume, and subsequently by modern humans. So remarkable site with three different kinds of humans living there in close proximity in, in, time, in time and space. But the big surprise was not only was there someone distinct in Siberia, maybe 50,000 years ago, but when whole genome scans were done with modern humans, it turned out that there was one group of living humans that were related to the Denisovans, that had Denisovan DNA in them. And these people are uh, down in Australasia. They're in New Guinea and Australia. So that's also very uh, unexpected. Since Professor Stringer's interview, there's been additional data from people from Papua New Guinea and Australia. Denisovan DNA is barely detectable in most parts of the world, but makes up 4-6% to of the DNA of people in Melanesia, which extends from New Guinea to Fiji Islands. People from China, Japan, and Korea have been found to have some Denisovan DNA in their genomes, around half of 1% with populations in Central and South America having about a tenth of 1%. So people of the South Pacific certainly have the most Denisovan admixture, as well as a greater percentage of Neanderthal DNA than Europeans. And to help drive this point home with DNA, here's a short excerpt from a talk given by Professor David Reich, a geneticist known for his research into the population genetics of ancient humans. While we were finishing the Neanderthal project, there was a finger bone in a cave in Siberia, uh, southern Siberia on the border of Mongolia and Kazakhstan and Russia, um, that was marked as a modern human by the Russian archaeologists who excavated it. But in fact, when it was sequenced by this laboratory in Germany, it was found to be neither a Neanderthal nor a modern human, but something else entirely. It was a finger bone of a little girl. This is the size of it. Um, and it was almost, it was amazing that it was even identified as human. Um, but once it was sequenced, it was clear it was like nothing that we had ever seen before. The individual <laughs> was, here's a, several Neanderthals, was farther, more distant from Neanderthals than any that were from each other, but genetically was more similar to Neanderthals than they are to modern humans. So this is a very interesting observation, um, and meant we had discovered a third <laughs> of humans, and the second population of archaic humans. 
Um, we did the same thing um, where we checked whether the Denisovan genome from Denisova cave matched some humans more than others. And this was a particular interesting finding, particularly interesting finding. When we compared this ancient genome to a Chinese genome and to a New Guinean genome, we found that the Denisovan individual matched New Guineans significantly more often than it did the Chinese. The interbreeding of, of Denisovans not only occurred with New Guineans, but with the ancestors of Aboriginal people from the Philippines and from Australia. And if you look in these black shaded circles in these pie charts, this is where the Denisovan ancestry is present today, highest frequency in the Philippines and in Australia and New Guinea, and also in people who have mixed with New Guinean populations as they spread out into the Pacific and into Indonesia. There's also a little bit of such ancestry throughout East Asia. And now we know of many interbreeding events amongst archaic humans and modern humans. And I'm not going to go into all of them because each one of these is its own sort of struggle to figure out how it happened and explain. And I wanted to move on to the second part of my talk. And the second part of my talk, sort of another example where it was a great surprise. I came from Luca Cavalli Sforza School where we thought every, we all came out of Africa. There was no interbreeding, and I was very much part of that school. My PhD supervisor was part of the group that established that, and when I came into the consortium, my very strong assumption was that that hadn't occurred. And we, my colleagues and I, worked extremely hard, harder than we otherwise would have, to make the result go away because we were very skeptical that, of the idea that interbreeding had occurred. Um, but the data seemed to show it in every possible way, and we kept developing new tests, and eventually it's just unambiguous. Right now, there's just so many signals and signs of Neanderthal DNA evident in our genomes, um, if you're a non-African person, it's just extremely obvious at this point. And so the data forced our hand in that case, even though our assumption was that something different was going on. The, the question is, um, how many other ghost populations are there? I, I think there are hundreds. We already know many others. So in, in fact, there are many other cases where, for example, we have predictions of populations not yet found in the ancient DNA. What's clear from looking at genetic data, not just in Europe, but other places that we and others are beginning to get data from, is that people are the results of layers and layers and layers of mixture. That nobody's pure, and that in fact, those ancestors were not pure either. That in fact, people are just the results of mixtures and mixtures and mixtures. And the right way to look at this may not be that of a tree, but as a trellis, a kind of just layering and layering of mixing. So I'd like to make two points here before we continue. The first is that I'm very glad to hear him admit he was wrong. As my entire academic career was spent fighting and arguing with professors like him about whether or not humanity was hybridized. In other words, interbred with different hominid species. And before the human genome was sequenced, Every professor that I ever spoken to at the time unanimously insisted that it didn't happen, that one type of hominin left Africa and mutated or evolved into the various races without interbreeding, just mutating based on the amount of sunshine and other factors in the environment. Since then, especially during the last decade or so, it's been conclusively proven by DNA sequencing that the various human races came about by different admixture of different hominin species. The dominant contribution that we all share is Cro-Magnon. It was a seafaring race that traveled all around the globe. I guess you could call it similar to colonialism. And it interbred wherever it went. 
So while Europeans have about 2% Neanderthal and Asians have slightly more, and there will surely be more hominin species announced in the coming years, which brings us to sub-Saharan African populations in West Africa, which are comprised of admixture from what scientists are calling a ghost species, because it has not yet been identified in the fossil record, but has been shown through DNA sequencing to be much older than Neanderthal or Denisovan, giving it the label of super archaic, since it is so far removed from modern humans. West Africans have been shown to contain from 2 to 20% genetics from this super archaic hominin species, which likely is either Homo erectus or Homo habilis, and is not found in the DNA of Caucasians, Asians, or any other non-African demographic. Since the DNA admixture is from 2 to 20%, scientists sometimes average this in the middle and say 11%. We call it a ghost population because this is not a population which we have identified based on any fossil evidence. And what we find is this model, which has a ghost introgressing into the African population, does explain this conditional site frequency spectrum. We also looked at other models, other models of introgression. Maybe this is not really a ghost. Maybe it's, it's the Neanderthals coming back together and mixing. Turns out, again, we can reject this. It doesn't fit our data. And we can reject this model at a fairly stringent p-value. And one of the interesting aspects of this is this was a population that split off prior to Neanderthals splitting off from modern humans. So it's a fairly old population. And almost 11% of the ancestry of Africans comes from this ghost archaic population. So compared to the 2% or the 3% attributable to Neanderthals and Denisovans. So this had a fairly big impact in terms of how much ancestry comes from this population. Additional research covering high coverage whole genome sequences of 15 sub-Saharan African hunter-gatherer males show signs that the ancestors of the hunter-gatherers interbred with one or more archaic human populations probably around 40,000 years ago, suggesting that the archaic African population and modern humans diverged around 1.2 to 1.3 million years ago. In addition, protein in the saliva of certain African populations, such as the Yoruba tribe, shows evidence that a species of archaic humans contributed DNA into their gene pool, pointing to an extinct group of archaic humans, which appear to have contributed DNA into the gene pool of modern populations in West Africa. In other words, sub-Saharan Africans could not possibly have populated or turned into Europeans. They did not leave Africa and magically mutate 35,000 years ago as they carry archaic DNA not found, not found in the genome of Cro-Magnons. In fact, the evidence suggests things happened the other way around, where Cro-Magnon, fully modern, carrying some Neanderthal admixture, entered into Africa, mated with archaic species, which as I said earlier, 
are 1.2 to 1.3 million years diverged from modern humans, crossbred with archaic hominids such as Homo erectus, which is now considered extinct, but who live on in the hybridized genetics of modern Sub-Saharan Africans who have a greater cranial capacity today than Homo erectus had thanks to this hybridization. A news release by the Australian National University notes. Well, what I might do, I might actually take it out. Now that we're coming up to about the hour mark, uh, this would be a fantastic way just to put an end to the story. As you call it. <clears throat> the broadcast. Yeah, I think we should do that. All right. I'll catch you all in the next episode. You'll take care. There is no doubt about that. Care it has to be taken.